Girlfriends, episode number 279, How to Keep Your Kids Safe Online with Sean Clifford. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about a very tough topic, one that causes us to have fear and anxiety often in our parenting, and that is keeping our kids safe online. I've got a special guest and a new product to share with you that's going to give you hope and encouragement even in the face of a very difficult challenge. I can't wait to share more with you. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriend, how are you? Thanks for being here. I always love to be able to connect with you here through the podcast. If you are a first time listener of the Girlfriends podcast, I want to give you a special welcome. I'm thrilled that you're checking it out. I hope you're going to like what we're sharing here. If you're sometimes or always listener, welcome back. Always glad to be able to connect with you as well and grateful for your presence here. This week, we are talking about this important topic of keeping our kids safe online. And you know what, this is like the topic for parents today. This is the thing that more than any other topic with regard to how we're raising our kids in the world today, I think causes fear and anxiety, especially among those of you who might have younger kids. You look at everything that's going on in the world. You look at the garbage that they could potentially have access to online, all the various ways that people are looking to victimize them or things that they could get exposed to that would damage their souls. And we just, sometimes our response to that is fear, trepidation, anxiety. We want to hide our heads in the sand. And, you know, I did a whole show a little over a year ago that was about how to handle social media with your kids and different ideas for ways to manage that with regard to when and how we're going to give our kids access to phones and social media. And this is very much related to that. So I will link to that previous episode in the show notes. But before we dive in and share my special guest with you, who is Sean Clifford, who has a new product that I think gives us a lot of hope and encouragement in the face of a very scary world as parents today. But before I share more with you about that, I just want to give you a little note of encouragement here at the start of the show. A reminder, an affirmation that you are the parent. So many times I run into situations where I find people are kind of parenting out of fear, parenting out of a reaction to the world rather than making their own proactive decisions with regards to their kids. That, you know, you have your values and your principles, and it is your job, it is your responsibility to decide how you're going to parent your kids and what kinds of things you're going to give them access to and when and what kind of privileges they're going to have with regard to digital media and when and how, under what circumstances, that is your job. And you have every right to do it, even in the face of pressure. And this is the thing. This is this is where parents, I find parents caving because they say, every other second grader has an, a smartphone in their pocket. I can't have my kid be the only one who doesn't have it. Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. It's actually a very good thing for your child to not have a smartphone in their pocket. Now, I'm not going to talk specifics like when you should allow your kid to have a smartphone and all of that. I mean, that's going to vary by the person. It's going to vary by the family. Everyone has their own circumstances, their own things they're taking into account. But I am going to tell you, and this is part of what I shared in that episode previously that I just referenced, that the longer you can delay giving your kid a smartphone, the better off they're going to be. You know, I remember years ago, I listened to a talk by Dr. Ray Garendi. You might be familiar with him. He's been around for years. And he shared in, in the talk, he was talking about teens and dating. And he shared that the statistics show that the longer a child delays dating, whatever that means for you, you know, exclusive kind of romantic relationships with the opposite sex, the longer they delay that, the greater outcome of that child being balanced, being happy, having good grades, um, delayed sexual activity, all of these things, you know, not involved in drugs, all of these positive outcomes that we want. That was one way that was affiliated was this delay in dating. But there's all this pressure from the culture, from your own kids that, you know, everybody else is doing it. But I mean, I'm not talking about dating here. That's a whole separate show. And in fact, we probably should take it up because I think it's a really important topic. But with regard to social media, the longer you can delay it, the better off you will be. I very much believe that there's a place for it in every person's life. And, you know, some people live without social media altogether, but it's it's hard in today's world to earn a living 
and, you know, be part of a community without having access to digital media in some way, shape or form. So that's what we're talking about today. How can you help your kids? What kind of tools can you give your kids to navigate that? And I believe there's a place for giving your kids access to that during the time they're under your roof, because I don't think it makes a lot of sense to not have your kids have access to anything online or any kind of digital media, and then they go off to college or they get a job when they're 18 or whatever, and all of a sudden they have access to all of it and they haven't learned how to navigate it. They haven't learned how to use those tools. And so what I'm really excited about with regard to today's guest and the topic that we're talking about is that this new product that Sean Clifford is going to be sharing with you about is called Canopy. And it's a a product that helps you to parent. It doesn't replace you as a parent online. You can't count on it 100% to keep your kid always 100% safe. There's nothing, you know, we're still on this side of heaven. So there's nothing in the world that's going to give you that kind of guarantee. But it's such a powerful tool and such a useful thing, especially in today's world when the people on the other side are, they have access to all of this new technology in different ways, insidious ways of getting at our kids and, you know, addicting them to digital media in various ways or exposing them to things that are going to be harmful, whether violent or sexual or even just political ideas um, that they're not prepared to process. This is a tool that can help you to navigate that together with your child. This is a tool that can help to increase the likelihood that you're going to be successful in giving your kids the kind of balance that they need online. So I'm super excited about this product. I am an affiliate for the product. So if you use the link that I I share inside of my conversation with Sean, I will get a tiny percentage of that. But that is absolutely nothing to do with why I am sharing about this product because I am a true believer in what this product does and the power that it gives to parents to be able to give their kids these powerful tools in a way that is appropriate and in a way that's going to keep them safe and in a way that's going to help them to have useful and educational conversations with their kids about the ways that we use this media without just throwing them to the wolves. It's not all or nothing. And that's really why I like this solution um, in, in a special way. So anyway, all of that to tell you, just a reminder, you are the parent. You get to decide. It does not matter what every other kid in your sixth graders classroom is doing, what they have access to, what privileges they have, whatever. The, that's for their parents to decide. You are your child's parent and God made you that child's parent for a reason. And it's a great responsibility, but it's also a privilege. So let's parent with positivity, with joy, and with confidence that together with God, we can do this. We don't need to be afraid. All right, here's my conversation with Sean Clifford. So you can learn all about Canopy, this new tool that I really think is going to be a great resource for you in Catholic parenting. Hey, everybody, welcome to Girlfriends. I've got a special guest that's joining us here on Girlfriends today. Sean Clifford is my special guest today, a new friend of mine, someone that I'm newly getting to know and really excited about his work. So let me tell you just a little bit about Sean. Sean is a CEO of Canopy and the father of four young children. He aspires to build products that give families the good of the internet without the bad. Sean founded Canopy in 2019 to help build a world of healthy tech users, starting by protecting children from pornography. He previously served as vice president of Barron Public Affairs, where he advised leading tech ventures, nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies at the intersection of culture and policy. Sean earned his BA from Williams College, an MA in the Great Books from St. John's College, and an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Sean, his wife, and their four kids live in Austin, Texas, where they enjoy exploring local trails and relaxing on tech-free Saturdays. Sean Clifford, welcome to Girlfriends. Thank you so much for having me on. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. So, you know, we're talking about Canopy in your bio, and people are probably wondering, what is that? And the idea of giving families the good of the internet without the bad. Maybe just to get us started, you could share a little bit about how you came to found Canopy and what the idea is behind it. I think one of the most important questions of this age is whether we can learn to live well with our technology. And I think this is something that everyone is wrestling with, but it is particularly pertinent for those who have children. Uh, the way that we are adopting technology today, at, at some level, you could say we're in the middle of a massive social experiment where mm -hmm. for the first time really in human history, we are given 
some kids as young as, you know, eight or 10 access to everything in the world. Mm-hmm. And that type of access is shaping uh, is in pretty profound ways, our habits, our longings, uh, even our posture, uh, but especially our understanding of the world. Uh, and that kind of has been at the forefront of, you know, that understanding that technology is shaping us uh, was really at the forefront of why I wanted to jump in. I have four of my own kids right. uh, that uh, I love deeply and want to make sure that we figure this out. I think one of the challenges is that given how novel the onset of, uh, you know, unfettered internet access is, uh, we're having to invent the parenting playbook all over again. You know, I cannot call my parents and say, Hey, what did you do with Facebook? Uh, (laughs) Facebook was invented long after I was out of the house. Right. And so, uh, I think that kind of poses a challenge and it's a big question with respect to this specific issue that we're focusing on. Uh, at the very outset, which is making sure that kids are not exposed to pornography. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with a very dear friend of mine. It was actually the second time we had ever met. Uh, and we were at a restaurant in Washington, D.C., a guy named Evan Loomis, who factors into the story many times over. But Evan asked what I would do if I made silly money and never had to work again. And I thought and gave him some answer. And then I asked Evan the same. And he said that he would dedicate his life to overcoming the scourge of pornography. Wow. This was something that he thought was going to completely transform how we live with other people and how we learn to love other people. Mm-hmm. And he had already seen it amongst his friends and he thought it was only going to uh, regrettably get worse. And that was the first time that kind of emerged on my horizon. And lo and behold, Evan was right that uh, it is a very prevalent and pernicious thing and it is sure. shaping us in in challenging and problematic ways. And so that was kind of the secondary thing that we wanted to figure out how we could equip people to tackle. Right, right. Okay, so you've gotten parents' attention, okay? <laughs> because <laughs> this is this is the topic. This is the thing that I hear from parents all the time. And it's one of the things I think people are living in fear about. People are living in denial about the fact that these, these issues exist and that our, our kids can be exposed to these dangers. It really is something I'll hear from parents like, you know, after I give a talk somewhere, they'll often come to me and have, you know, various parenting questions. And this one comes up all the time. And I can see the fear in their faces when they're talking to me about this, like, how do I manage? How can I protect my kids from what's going on on the internet? How can I make sure they're not getting exposed to pornography? And many times parents I know feel helpless about it in a way that makes them want to just say, well, it's going to happen. So let's just not do anything about it at all. But so can you just briefly describe what Canopy is and how exactly it works and what kind of a tool this is for parents? Absolutely. So technically, Our inertial product is software that you would download to one of your devices, a Mm -hmm. smartphone, a tablet, a computer. And once Canopy has been installed, we effectively scan every website that you visit as you search. And the really powerful thing that we're able to do uh, that that I think is a completely new approach to the space is we scan things in real time and are able to block any pornographic content or nudity uh, on the fly in milliseconds. And that offers parents a chance to ensure that their kids just are not going to be exposed on any browser to the bad stuff that's out there. Um, This is a different approach. You know, so traditionally we kind of had uh, what we would call the domain based or the URL based filters, which would say, Hey, there's a bad side over there. Just don't go over there and you're fine. Mm -hmm. And that worked in the early days of the internet where you effectively had the black sites and the white sites. Uh, but regrettably, we've kind of moved towards this 50 shades of gray where there's a lot of good sites with bad content and vice versa. Right. So in that environment, just blocking bad sites isn't really sufficient because you have things, you know, the example we use is Twitter.com. Twitter.com has Bitcoin memes and sports scores and things of that sort, which is fine and also can be a conduit for pornography. Mm-hmm. And so... As a parent, then your choice is you block all of it or you allow all of it. And that's not really a satisfying or, uh, in my opinion, an acceptable option to give parents. Right. With our software on within Twitter.com, we can, we can scan anything. And if too much of the content's bad, we'll block the whole page. Uh, but if there's 20 things, 19 are fine and one is bad, we can seamlessly remove just the one bad thing. Wow. Wow. That, that's a really flexible tool. I mean, I love it because I, 
in the past we've used those kinds of filters and the the problem is it would you you have to stay on top of it like and there's you know bad sites out there i never heard of i don't know to block them and there, there's one that would be invented tomorrow or um the other problem that we found was when our kids were getting online to do school work there were sites that they needed to access for school that for whatever reason were getting blocked you know and there it was just not a, a perfect system in that way so it was a constant source of frustration so does canopy work like in the moment like if you go to open a page are you going to see something for a second and then it goes away or how does that work it works instantaneously so the average time that it takes to assess a page and then serve up the content is milliseconds and wow. more often than not the vast majority of the times it's faster than human eye can even detect so and we think this is one of the advantages you're not waiting five seconds for us to scan and assess a page right a lot of really uh, hard work went into that by our dev team based in Israel to make sure that it was a good and seamless user experience. So uh, yes, as you open up a page, whether it's a URL that's been around for years, a page that was created five minutes ago, a page that was fine yesterday, but it's problematic today, we're scanning it each time as you go so fast that you shouldn't be able to tell. Once yeah. we've detected that there's something bad, uh, we are able to block the whole page or remove the bad stuff but our, before it ever hits the pixels of your screen. So our hope is, you know, and, and the recognition that we have, let me back up, the recognition that we have is some things can't be unseen. And so we really want to make sure that we are delivering an experience where that's not hitting uh, your kid's eyes, that yeah. they're uh, being kind of safeguarded from that uh, because you know, at the end of the day, a lot of content's not for kids. Um, heck, I think there's a lot of content that's not for adults, but not you know, for anybody. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, and we just want to make sure that that's not, you know, their, their smartphone, which or their tablet or computer, we think tech is amazing, uh, mm -hmm. can be a, a source of joy and entertainment and exploration, uh, but it shouldn't be a conduit to some of the bad stuff that regrettably is out there. And sure. that's really what we're trying to solve with this first release. Yeah. Yeah. So, th so this is something that you would download onto your kid's phone. Is that how it works? Yes. So you can, uh, you, you could go to our website, canopy.us, uh, download, you know, register an account and then download it. Again, we're on iOS, Android, smartphones and tablets, and then Mac and Windows computers. And so wow. you would put it on there uh, and it works in the background. The thing that we really hope is to be as minimally intrusive as possible. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, there will be a site that may have, you know, content that uh, will block. But when that happens, we try and make it really easy for a kid to request access. One of the examples we have is uh, a child was trying to do, uh, one of our customers, biology research, mm -hmm. and they needed to go to a site that had uh, literal depictions of anatomy. Mm -hmm. uh, and our site blocked it because there was nudity on it. They requested access. The parent looked at it, said it was fine, and you know they're able to go. So we try and make this, we do not want to be a source of friction between kids and parents. We want to be a tool that actually drives them together in conversation. Right. I, I love that. So, and it's all image-based, right? It's not with, with regard to content, like they could, it, it doesn't block text. Is that correct? So we have three filters, actually. One is a text filter, one's an image filter, and one's a video filter. All okay. three work at the same time. If there's a problematic image or video in isolation, we can seamlessly remove those. If we find problematic text, uh, we'll typically block the whole page unless we can just discreetly remove it. Uh, we want to be careful there just of context. You can right. usually remove a bad image or video without, and you know, if everything else is fine without disrupting it, but it's, it's hard to splice out specific words or phrases. Uh, Definitely. So. Definitely. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that's interesting. Now, one of the things that I've appreciated from software that we've used in the past is that it would send me, if I wanted it to, um, my kids' Google searches. Are there ways that parents can get alerted if, you know, kids are searching for inappropriate things or using their phones in ways they shouldn't be? You know, so right now, Danielle, we don't have that. We've mm -hmm. got it under development. And the thing that we're wrestling with, and I welcome your take on this, is we conceive of ourselves as guardrails that wants to give kids a chance to explore without feeling as if they're being spied on by their parents. Right. And... I think there are ways that you can offer parents that visibility and transparency, mm -hmm. but it needs to be done carefully because again, from our perspective, the best outcome of a tool like ours is that we're creating a safe place for kids and also driving kids and parents into better, richer conversations about how to live well in the digital age. Right. And so we're working on that now. I think, you know, we're, we're close from, from a technical perspective. It's easy to do, but we really want to make 
sure we get that right so that kids don't feel like they uh, aren't trusted by their parents. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes the kids knowing that I was going to get that list of Google searches was a deterrent in itself, um, mm. which, which is helpful. But yeah, I think, I think that's a good point that you're making that we want to make these, these really useful tools, something that kids can begin to use independently in a way. Um, so w with me, I know that sometimes when I would get Google searches that weren't necessarily bad, but it did kind of open a window to me like, oh, he's curious about that. You know, like we, we should have a conversation about that so that you're kind of part of that. But I, I can see Canopy being a tool that would really inspire those kinds of conversations anyway, you know, where you could feel more confident letting your kid explore something on the internet if you knew it was going to be in a safe way. You knew those those sites and those images were going to be blocked. I, I, I really like that idea that this is a tool that parents can use to foster that kind of good communication with their kids. Yes. And the other thing I'll quickly interject here is that um, Ultimately, we believe that uh, you know technology is formative, and parents have the privilege. Uh, I know sometimes it feels like a burden, but it's <laughs> the privilege of helping shape our kids. Yep. Um, and I think that really, you know, when we consider this, we hope that parents can step in and really help shape the hearts and minds of their kids, such that they want something higher and better than uh, that. You know, some of the bad content that we block. Yeah. Um, and. Our hope is that Canopy can create the space for that really important formation to happen. We are not going to take the place of the parent. We're not a silver bullet, but mm -hmm. we, we hope that we can give uh, families a chance, uh, both the time and then also that opportunity, unsullied by a lot of the problematic things out there, to have those really important conversations and let that parenting uh, kick in. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I love that. I think this is, I was so excited when I first learned about Canopy because it feels so different from everything else that's out there. It actually is something that I feel like gives us as parents a sign of hope in what feels like otherwise kind of a hopeless situation. Like I said, parents are tempted to either like not let their kids have access to the internet at all. And we've tried that. That doesn't work for very long. It's hard. Or not give them phones for sure. I'm an advocate of that, not just because of, you know, potential for access to pornography, but because of tech addiction and those kinds of issues. I, I find it's really helpful to wait a long time before giving your kid a phone. But, you know, eventually the goal is to raise these human beings who can be adults in the the world. And of course, that for most for the most part is going to require them to have some form of device, some form of a cell phone access to the internet in various ways. That's just an expected part of the world and work today. So this is a wonderful tool that can give parents confidence in teaching their kids how to how to use the internet responsibly. That's uh that's the dream. That's what we hope and I <laughs> Well, what we didn't talk about, though, are, um, you know, because we can we can prevent kids from accessing inappropriate content online. But what about preventing them from creating their own inappropriate content? Because I am a parent of high schoolers. I know what these kids are doing. And it's the saddest thing in the world to me that this has become commonplace in teen culture. Can we talk about that a little bit? I think you're referring to sexting. Yes. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an astonishing topic. And I I find that when we bring this up, uh, you know, a lot of parents are familiar with pornography, even if they think of it as it existed 30 years ago when pornography was a Playboy magazine. Um, and that was bad. What we have today is so much worse. But I find a lot of surprise when it comes to the sex thing because it's so far uh, out of the imagination of what parents think would be a normal thing to do, but regrettably right. it's prevalent. So one out of seven American teenagers has sent a sex, you know, a nude photo of himself. One out of four has received one. And the stat that I came across last month was that um, two out of every three American teenagers, female teenagers, um, has been asked for a sex. Right. Uh, and that regrettably is becoming more prevalent. And, you know, we hear these horror stories of, you know, freshman girls in particular, they come into a new high school. And within the first few weeks, uh, as they're trying to establish themselves and uh, fit in, they're being solicited and, and hit up for new yeah. um, which is which is terrible. So it's a problem. Um, and we're doing what we can to try and address that. So mm -hmm. we've taken the same technology that we've built for monitoring the internet and tried to apply it to images captured by a device itself. It works a little bit differently on Android versus iOS, but in okay. a nutshell, 
when you take a photo of yourself on iOS, for example, the second that it hits the memory of the device, our software will scan it. And if that image is, we've got two settings. One is you know, either full nudity, the second is minimal clothing. So think of a bikini or lingerie. Right. If it falls into either one of those categories, at that point, we give the user, usually a teenager, the choice. They can either delete it on the spot and just be done with it, or they can send a copy of it to the mom for approval, mm-hmm. which uh, hopefully they don't do. And right. so through that means we are trying to kind of give them an opportunity to just take that half pause, think, you know, is this something? And also give the parents some insight. We give that the child the option because look, maybe it's uh, a couple of friends at the beach and it's not, it's an innocent enough photo. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the parents could approve it, but we want to have that opportunity for the child to, to think, is this something that's appropriate for me to send out there? Right. And um, I think this, you know, a broader topic, and this is something I think a lot of parents are trying to wrestle with. Right. The cost of making a mistake in the digital world are higher uh, than they were 20, 30 years ago. Oh, for when sure. When I was a teenager, I probably did a lot of uh, foolish things, but then the next day I woke up and, you know, we kind of moved on. And maybe mm-hmm. my friends would talk about it for a week, but then it kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, if you make a mistake, digital is forever, and it can be out there and it can be shared instantaneously and it, it can haunt you. Right. Um, and stories we've heard about this are just heartbreaking. So trying to provide not only parents, but um, the children themselves with a tool that can prevent this. And I'm sorry, the, the, the long wind here, but the last example that I'll give is sure. we've had some, we've had some customers say that their daughters uh, in particular, and you know, again, both, uh, both boys and girls regrettably are engaged in this activity, but right. the daughters in particular are thankful for this feature because they can just say, Hey, I can't. Like right. I literally can't do that. A lot right. of them don't want to, uh, of but a way to kind of empower them, uh, to say, Hey, look, it's just, it's not even possible. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's great because it kind of gives them that out, you know, and I, it, as much as we want to believe that we're going to raise our daughters to be strong enough to say no way. Right. Um, it, the reality is, you know, they're, they're kids and they're subject to all kinds of pressures and a girl just wants attention from a boy and this is an easy way to do it. So I think it's more prevalent than parents realize, I think, not to, not to instill fear in anybody, but parents, you know, if you've got teenagers, this is some, this is a conversation you need to be having with them um, for sure. And I love that Canopy gives you that opportunity to kind of have that conversation. Like, Hey, is this, if, if if a photo isn't something you want to send to your mom, then you probably shouldn't be sending it to anybody, right? Right. So I I love that. But, you know, I think that the larger thing here is that what we're looking at, and I think this is what, you know, you talked about at the beginning, what kind of motivated you to get involved in this work in the first place, is that pornography has become so commonplace in our world. And many of us don't want to admit the fact that, you know, we're, even if you're protecting your kids from it, you know, I think about this all the time, we homeschool and we're, we're very protective of the things that are, we're going to allow to influence our kids, but it's still creeped in and in various ways and sometimes in really surprising ways. And then I'm very aware of the fact that, especially as our kids get older, that they're playing sports alongside kids who have it on their phones. And, you know, it's just part of the world that we're living in today. It, you know, as sad as that is to say. Um, But I love that this is a positive. It feels like a powerful weapon that parents are getting handed in this cultural battle. Is is that what your your goal is for Canopy? Yes, we we think some content is not for kids. Obviously, pornography very much fits within that. And we want to prevent, to the greatest extent possible, a kid from being exposed to it. I think that, you know, the goal should absolutely be, you know, no kid should be exposed to this ever. And that's our eventual hope. We would love to see a world in which every device that a kid could access has some kind of control on it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the short term, look, I recognize that you can put Canopy on all the devices in your house and really lock it down and they can go next door. There's a friend or an unprotected device somewhere. Right. Um, and so we do not, you know, we do not think that this is a replacement for parenting. You need to have the conversations early and often to prepare your kids for that moment because regrettably in the world we live in today, like it's just out there and it finds your kids. They don't Mm -hmm. even need to be looking for it. It finds them. But we think that uh, we need to start. We really need to empower parents to do what they can do. Uh, And the thing that we've found is just number one, like the technology, the underlying filter uh, 
is remarkably accurate. And so it can prevent a lot of that accidental exposure early on. Some of that kind of curious uh, natural questions kids have, they just sure. go searching for it. And then they, you know, they trip on something they didn't intend to mm-hmm. or later if it's shared with them. But it also sends a signal to kids about what their parents value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that normative lesson, hey, this is not for you, which oftentimes prompts a question. And whether the kid shrugs it off immediately or not, gets planted in their mind as like, hmm, some stuff is not for me. Why? What, what's going on? And over time, uh, you know, our same technology has been deployed in Israel. Uh, they have over 2 million devices with it uh, installed. And uh, we've found that over time, um, kids come away thinking that, you know, my parents didn't, you know, I understand why they didn't want this. Mm-hmm. And they have those conversations. Uh, the best outcome, obviously, is to have a tool and have the conversations. That's the most powerful combo out there. But uh, we think this is an important first step. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And a great, a great conversation starter, like, because, you know, I, we have these kinds of conversations with our kids all the time when we're, we're having them do something that's different. Like you're the only kid who's not allowed to watch that movie, for example, or you're, you know, not allowed to have a smartphone at all or whatever it is that's making them different. I always find those are opportunities for us to share our values. Like this is, this is what we value. And, um, this is, this is why, and I'm, I'm sorry, it makes you uncomfortable or that it makes you different, but I love that this is sort of a seamless way. Like you're not saying he can't have the phone or, um, you know, can't go online. Just, just, this is a, a great tool for making that um, a safer thing for him to be able to do. Um, but there are a few other features, right? Um, there's like apps, for example, are you able to monitor apps through Canopy? Yes, we do two things with apps. Number one, we monitor all in-app browsers. Um, and the reason we do this, and, and this is something that, uh, you know, we found kind of surveying the landscape is one way that kids will oftentimes circumvent uh, traditional filters out there is they'll go hypothetically to Google Maps. They'll mm-hmm. type in a pornographic website. The actual physical headquarters will pop up in the map. And then you can click the in-app browser and you're off, you know, tripping down the rabbit hole. And oh from the gosh. outside, it looks like you've spent two hours, you know, studying Google Maps, but uh, you're actually in a browser doing that. So we monitor and filter within all in-app browsers, which you think was important. Yeah, um, it works with with respect to app content itself. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little complicated. We're trying to operate within multiple different operating systems and hardware platforms, so we don't filter the actual content within Android devices. We do within a lot of iOS, but um, not all iOS apps. So the okay. the net effect is that we give parents the choice to allow or block any app or website that they want. So one of the things that most of our parents will do uh, is to say, look, you can't filter the Twitter app. So we'll block the Twitter app, but you can go to twitter.com and browse to your heart's content, knowing that the content there will I be see. safe and secure. Mm-hmm. That and makes so a lot of sense. That's, you know, parents use it both to kind of guard content, but uh, as you can imagine, a lot of apps are also time wasters. Yes. Uh, but we'll find parents utilize this capability to ensure that, uh, their kids are using their phone as a tool and not a feed. That's one of the things that um, when we do communicate with kids, we really try and emphasize that apps are built to be alluring and tempting. Yeah. Uh, and, and addictive. They, yes. And that's by design, right? And it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your average 13-year-old when they're navigating an app is, you know, the scene you should have in your mind is your 13-year-old versus a team of neuroscientists in Silicon Valley yeah. that have been working tirelessly over the years to figure out how to get your kid to do exactly right. uh, what they want. Doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough scenario. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the important things that we try and instill, but this is really a lesson for parents is uh, your devices oftentimes are built to be, they're, they're designed, which is to say they're engineered, which is to say they are uh, manipulative. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has a bad connotation. And sometimes we use that uh, to affect because no one wants to be manipulated. And if you step back and understand how some of these, uh, whether it's the device itself or some of the apps within it are built, that's kind of very much baked into their design from the very get-go. So right. having the ability as a parent to say, hey, look, not this app. This one's not uh, ultimately good for you or not appropriate for you at this age or not appropriate for you with unlimited time is something that, again, we hope gives kids the space to develop and then use those things with purpose to fulfill their intentions, not just to have their attention harvested. 
Right. Oh, I think that's fantastic. That Because you know what? I know that for our kids, there are certain apps that we don't want them to have at all, but I don't even know them all, you know, like I don't. And, and that's like more than a full-time job to like research what the up and coming apps are, what, where kids are spending time or what they're using. Sometimes an innocent looking app for is sometimes shocking. So I, I, I love that it, it's kind of monitoring for you, even, you know, when you don't know about what, what danger might be is associated with a particular app. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I had a conversation with uh, a parent, a few months ago and uh, they said, you know what? I finally figured out Facebook. Like, I, I feel like I've got this under control now. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have the heart at that point to say that like, <laughs> that's a few years, like we're- Yeah, no long, kid is getting on Facebook. Maybe we're even on TikTok now. And right. um, and it's it's a challenge. Look, the there's a great book out there that kind of talks about the differences of uh, the adoption rate of new technology and mm-hmm. how truncated it has become over the last- two decades. And, you know, I remember when I grew up, perhaps better when my father grew up, the phone was new. And so all the etiquette around the phone was um, instilled by his father. So my grandfather, it's like, don't call someone after 9pm. When someone calls, you say, hello, this is the Clifford residence, things like that. And that helped us use new tools and embed them into our lives in a way that made sense and was good for us. Mm -hmm. No parent was teaching their kid how to use Facebook, right? They were all figuring out, uh, on their own and same with Snapchat and same with TikTok and Discord mm-hmm. and all the other things out there. And so uh, the very folks that are perhaps um, least prepared to understand the implications of how these things will be used are the ones that are figuring out and really instilling the habits around how we're using, whether it's a device or an app or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's a challenge. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity right. for parents to engage, but it's it's a big challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I just want to circle back to when you were talking about kids kind of working working the system because we all know they do that and they'll find a way to disable a filter or get around you know something that's put in there to prevent them from accessing certain things. Um, it, what what kind of safeguards are there for that? Like, can can kids disable this? How does that work? We've done our very best to lock all the back doors. Mm-hmm. So we've studied how there are the traditional ways to circumvent a filter. Uh, and I think we've done a pretty good job. We mm-hmm. actually have two, um, two guys that work in our team here that meet regularly with college students. Uh, and these particular college students are familiar with all the other tools that are out there uh, and know, you know six uh, to a dozen ways to get around them. Um, and yet uh, they've not been able to get around Canopy, which we're really proud of. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Sure. We lock down in-app browsers so you can't uh, bypass the filter that way. We block things like Tor browsers, which are kind of an encrypted end around, uh, which is problematic. We give parents the option to block certain apps if we can't filter within them so that they can uh, ensure that you know bad content is not sneaking in that way. And then the big thing is um, we've taken some big steps to ensure that a child can't just simply turn off or delete the filter. The default when you install it is that if your child tries to tamper with it or remove it, you'll be uh, notified immediately. We have an extra step called removal prevention that if you enable, and it you know it takes 10 to 12 minutes to get that fully turned on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do that, you cannot delete Canopy from a device. You just, wow. you can't, like the typical ways to, to do that, you just are unable to do it, which we think is an exciting development and, and really provides that peace of mind. Right. So, we've tried to have those safeguards in place, which is not to say that there's not going to be a little Steve Wozniak out there uh, (laughs) that that will figure it out, but we're constantly monitoring that stuff. And thus far, we've not found a way to hack it. Um, Mm -hmm. And should someone else, you know, we'll figure that out and and plug that gap. Right, right. Uh, That's very reassuring because we're all terrified of how smart our kids are. (laughs) (laughs) How resourceful they can be sometimes. Um, I think that that is great. Now, um, so I'm sure people are listening and thinking, okay, I want to give this a try. You're offering a 30-day free trial. So if people go to canopy.us slash bean, you're going to get a special offer there. But Sean, tell people how much this costs because I was astonished when I went over because I could not believe how cheap it is. Honestly, I cannot. Absolutely. So we've got three different packages. All packages have the same features. It just depends on how many devices in your home you want to protect. Mm -hmm. So for three devices, it's $7.99 a month. Five devices is $9.99 a month. And 10 devices is $15.99 a month. And those are before the the discount is applied. So 
we wanted to make this accessible and affordable um, because at the end of the day, again, our, our hope and our dream is that we can help families. Like that's what's right. in us. And so. What a gift. I, I think that is an amazing deal for what you'll be getting. But if, if folks want to just try it out, you could try it 30 days for free with that promo code bean. If you heard about it here on Girlfriends, put in that promo code bean and you're going to get 25% off of your price forever, right? That's an ongoing discount. Yes. That's amazing. That is amazing. I'm I'm so encouraged by this, Sean. I am so encouraged by the fact that this product exists. I'm hopeful for the good things it can do for our kids and our families in the future and the the level of, you know, control that it's going to give us with regard to helping our kids navigate the tech world, which is a scary one for many parents. I think this is a, a wonderful tool that you don't need to know, have any kind of tech knowledge that you, you know, you can just get Canopy and count on their tech knowledge in, in order to help your kids navigate what oftentimes feels like a scary world out there with regard to digital media. So I want to thank you, Sean, for bringing this product to families, for bringing it in such an affordable and accessible way, and, and for your heart for this mission of protecting our kids from dangerous online. Thank you so much for that. Well, Danielle, I want to thank you for your encouragement and your help raising awareness about this. We think there's a massive problem out there uh, and parents are really hungry to do something better. They appreciate that, you know, what their kids consume is going to shape them in a powerful way. And, you know, the first step from our perspective is making sure you can keep out the bad, uh, but that's primarily to give them the space to parent. Right to, right to have those conversations and engage in the work. And on that front, um, I just I want to encourage you and thank you for all the conversations that you've had and all the insights that you shared with your listeners, which that's the hard part, right? The, the technology at some level will we'll figure out and we'll get out there. But uh, parenting ultimately is uh, is the hard thing uh, and, and the really fulfilling thing. So and you're you're shepherding people on that. So thank you oh. so much for the opportunity to talk about Canopy today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Folks, check it out. Canopy.us slash bean to get that special offer. We'll have it linked up in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. You can go there. If you can't remember to go to Ascension Press and get the, the show notes for this episode to get that link, you can text right now the word girlfriends to 33777. You'll get automatically subscribed and you'll get the show notes right in your inbox. Isn't that great? You'll get everything from Canopy. I'm so excited about this new product, Sean. Thanks so much for coming on girlfriends and God bless you in your work. Thank you so much. Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Frat has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the rosary how to pray the rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I've been recently spending a little bit of time in a mini book club of sorts for my new book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, which is available at ascensionpress.com. If you don't yet have your copy, copies are shipping. So you'll want to get over there and get your copy so you can follow along in these little segments that we're doing each week. We're going one chapter at a time and I'm just sharing with you a little bit of the kind of content that I share in Whisper. So the reason I wrote this book is because I want to to encourage you to look for God in small places in your life, in everyday moments, in the ordinary activities, ins and outs, joys and sorrows of your everyday life, because that's not just my goal for you. That's God's goal for you. That's God's goal for everybody. He wants to have an ongoing, constant relationship 
with each and every one of us, even in the smallest little parts of our everyday experiences. So in the book, I share some of the stories of my own life, my own struggles, my own triumphs and trials with regard to connecting with God in the everyday in the hopes of encouraging you to look for those everyday ways that God is also looking to connect with you. So this week, we're looking at chapter five, which is titled Slowing Down, Seeking God in Stillness. And at the start of this chapter, I share a story from my childhood where my older sister, Elaine, she was, she was, you know, every bit an older sister. And um, she used to kind of boss me a little bit. And this particular thing that I remember this particular day was when she decided that we should pray the rosary together. And, you know, I think about this now as a parent, and I think, oh my gosh, how would I, how can I get my kids to be like that? You know, she was bossing me to pray, which was great. You know, I was pretty little. I might've been like six or seven at the time, but she propped up a a prayer card on a pillow beside our bed. And then we just kind of knelt together and we were going to pray this rosary together. And I just remember really struggling to focus on the rosary. You know, when even now, sometimes it's hard. Your mind wanders, you get distracted. It feels kind of, you feel kind of antsy sitting still that long or trying to meditate on the mysteries of the rosary. And, you know, that's really what I'm sharing in, in this particular chapter in Whisper is that that's an ongoing part of the human experience. It's not just little kids who get distracted, whose minds kind of jump all over the place when you're trying to slow down, when you're trying to sit and be still. There's a part of us that that kind of wants to escape that. And our culture encourages constant busyness, constant noise, constant doing, almost to the point where we feel like we need to kind of earn our status and be constantly busy. I'm really struck by that word busy. I have a friend, Sam, hey, shout out to Sam, if you're listening, who told me that I think it was her pastor told her this little little thing to remember. Busy means, it stands for B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. And um, you know what? I think that's a really good way of looking at it because when we're busy, you know, with all these different things we're doing and how many of us are going around telling everybody how busy we are and feeling stressed by how busy we are. And, you know, every moment of our days and our even our weekends and our evenings are packed with activities, whether um, it's for us or for our kids or in our churches. And, you know, we're doing a lot of good things. But I think sometimes in our culture, we kind of turn busyness into a virtue in itself. And that's a hard thing to overcome. If you've come to believe that being busy is a virtue and you go around, you know, proudly telling everybody how busy you are, like it earns you some kind of status or, you know, it's something to be admired. Well, it's going to be hard to just be quiet and be still, to just be rather than doing. And that's really an ongoing struggle. But the good news is it's something you can get better at doing. And it's something that we are made for. That's part of what I share in this chapter five in Whisper is we're made for it. We're built for that. We're made for this connection with God. And that doesn't happen in our busyness. That doesn't happen in all the distractions and all the things that we are doing and, you know, all the different ways that we we distract ourselves or entertain ourselves and fill every moment with activity. Um, Even our leisure time seems busy, like you have to be like signing up to run a marathon, or you have to be joining a a club, or you have to be having meetings and whatever hobby it is you're pursuing. It doesn't, doesn't have to be like that. And really, we're not made for it. We're made for communion with God. And that takes quiet. It takes still stillness. And being quiet and being still takes practice. You might be very uncomfortable with it. If you don't ever do it, you might be very uncomfortable with sitting and just being quiet for five minutes, not having your phone there to distract you, not having multiple devices, not, you know, having something to to look up or checking Instagram or turning on the news or whatever is your your distraction that you favor. So it, it takes practice, but that's part of what I want to encourage you to do. And I share some of my own struggles to do that in in this chapter. So I want to I want to share just a little bit of encouragement for you if this is something that you struggle with if you struggle with being still if you struggle with being quiet first of all know that you're not alone in that um, I hear from people all the time who tell me I I struggle to pray because I just get so distracted well welcome to the club like even the great saints got distracted and you can hear about examples of that in some of the lives of the saints but that's not an excuse to stop when you get distracted you don't just throw everything away and decide oh that didn't work no you you pull your mind back. That's all without judgment, without, you know, just berating yourself for being so distracted and not paying attention to your prayer time. 
just call your mind back. And sometimes we really will get down on ourselves because it seems like there's an awful lot of those times that I need to call my brain back. And I, I realize this in my own life when I have a lot of things going on, it can be very hard to be quiet, to be still. It takes discipline to pull yourself back. But then I try to remind myself that this is a gift that I can give to God. Rather than think, I got distracted. I'm a terrible child of God. I've offended him yet again by being distracted in my prayer time. No, what offends him is if you embrace that or if you give up and just throw it all away because that happened. You can turn it into a gift for him by making that effort. Think of the effort it takes each time to draw your mind back to God, draw your mind back to the presence of God, draw your mind back to whatever prayer it was you were saying before you thought of that thing that pulled you away, that tried to pull you away. It's a gift you can give to God. Maybe you're going to give it to him a dozen or 25 times inside of your prayer session. Give him that gift, that discipline of going back until you, you've completed what you wanted to do for that prayer time. It does take discipline. It doesn't always feel easy. We are made for it, but it doesn't mean that it's going to come easy. So it, I think just recognizing that, that you know, sometimes we, we kind of fall into this way of thinking about ourselves like, oh, they're, you know, they're the great saints and they could pray and they could meditate, but I'm just, I'm terrible at that. And that's not for me. You know, and whether you think in those terms or not, like say those words or think those words, sometimes that's the attitude we have. Like that, they're somehow separate from us. They're different from us in some way. That's not me. I can't do it. But that's not true. You are a human being with a human soul and you are made for connection with God. It just takes a little bit of effort and some discipline on your part, but it is in fact something that you can get better at doing. Okay. So that's the encouragement I want to share. You can read more about quieting ourselves and meeting God inside of stillness in Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, which is available from Ascension. You can get that at ascensionpress.com. The link is in the show notes to every episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. So we'd love to be able to connect with you through the book as well. If you are reading and following along in these little mini book club sessions, I'd love to hear from you and share some of your feedback in a future show. You can email me, Danielle at DanielleBean.com. Also, connect with me on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you in those places as well. Maybe you have feedback on today's show. Maybe you have feedback on this episode, the conversation that I had with Sean. Maybe you're going to give Canopy a try. Go to canopy.us slash bean to get that special offer. And then let me know how that's working for you. Or maybe you have another resource or another tool that really helps you in parenting kids in a digital age. I'd love to be able to share that resource with other people here at Girlfriends. So let me know what that is. Again, the email is danielle at daniellebean.com. That's all the time we have for today, but I am so grateful that you've joined me for this episode of Girlfriends. I do not take for granted that you have many things going on in your life, many things that are vying for your time and your attention and your energy. So I'm so grateful that you have spent this time here with me this week. Thank you for that gift. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 